Welcome to another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing, where we bring on guests and we talk about this beautiful city we call Long Beach. And now, here's your host, motivational coach, Paul Fortune. Welcome to another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing. Be sure to subscribe to your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a single episode. And like us on Facebook. It's a Long Beach, so you don't miss any upcoming content. We have a great show for you today. We have Long Beach writer Max Evans with us. Max, how are you today? Morning, man. It's going to be a beautiful day today. It definitely is. It definitely is. We had a conversation, uh, gosh, a week ago about our connections with Long Beach, and our, our paths have kind of crossed in a way. We both went to St. Anthony's. I just missed you. You graduated in 95, you graduated in 99, but we know a couple mutual people, which is really, really great. So I know your roots are in Long Beach, but uh, tell us about your connection with this great city. All right. Well, uh, we might be here for eight hours. So, <laughs> All right. So uh, I was born, raised and educated here in Long Beach, uh, born at a community hospital. Um, and then I was raised in Wrigley, section of Long Beach. Um, I have since lived in uh, Belmont Heights for about uh, 10 years plus. And then um, as for school, I, as you said, went to St. Anthony's um, and then went to Long Beach City College and then transferred to Long Beach State where I earned a BA in psychology. Um, took a few years off, got a few short stories published and then returned to Long Beach State to earn an MFA in creative writing. Um, also, I've worked uh, all throughout the city. Um, I was a TA at an elementary school here. Um, I worked at various restaurants, including uh, Parker's Lighthouse and P.F. Chang's. Um, what else? I'm also a casual longshoreman. That's one of my, one of my jobs right now. So I work at the docks as well. Um, and yeah, I've been here my entire life. That, that, that's tremendous. So uh, I didn't know you were a casual longshoreman. I actually saw it from your bio, but I'm surprised about that. So how'd you get into that? Oh, it was in that, uh, raffle that happened. I think it was like 2007 or something along that lines. Um, and I got in and, um, um, I use it every once in a while. I don't go down there as consistently as other people do. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've been down there since then, um, just being a casual longshoreman. So you just, you just went there and you just got in the lottery and you were able, you were happy to be picked as a casual, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got, got lucky in that way and, and kept up my card all these years. And yeah, it's a great backup uh, when I need some extra cash real quick. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I know your story a little bit. Um, fatherhood is, is, is big. I know that's big in your writings. So um, you, you, were, you happened to be a father at a very, very young age. How were you able to make that work when, you know, you're still in school, you have to pay the bills, and now you have to have to take care of somebody else at, the, at that high level? How did you make all that work? Right. So, yeah, my son was born when I was around 21 and I had just uh, transferred to Long Beach State. So I was still a, a junior. 
Um, and luckily at the time, um, you know, I had a lot of family support. Um, my parents helped me out a lot as well. Um, so they were like the major backbone for me to be able to achieve uh, not only like my school goals, not only my writing goals, but also to, to be a great dad. And so, um, yeah, fatherhood remains just like this uh, backbone to my writing. Um, my first book is called Where's Pops? It's a short story collection and it focuses on, on fathers based on the demographic of fathers in Long Beach. So you have fathers of all different backgrounds, um, uh, let's see, um, uh, married and not married and uh, different sexual orientations. It's all up and down, um, you know, representing Long Beach. And so from that uh, book uh, came out about six years ago, um, I created a scholarship called the MVP Award which stands for Most Valuable Pops. And I've given this scholarship to students, um, fathers attending community colleges locally. So um, I think it's been uh, Cerritos, um, Long Beach City College as well, and in uh, Irvine Valley College. Um, so that's what I've been doing with that one. So yeah, it remains a, a, a staple of my writing. And even in, new, in the new novel, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, fatherhood is is uh, deeply important, um, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that my biological father is also named Max Evans. Now I don't know him per se, um, but he published about thirty books, and so he was kind of like never around. And that just I think that's the main reason why fatherhood is, is such an important element to my writing. Um, for those uh, that don't know him, like maybe older readers would know of him. Um, he wrote a uh, TV series and a movie called The Rounders, and it was back in the 60s. And that was like uh, one of his bigger texts. So, yeah. So basically with my writing, I just have tried to take something negative and turn it around into something uh, positive. There's a lot of, to unpack there. So let's start here. So uh, yeah. about your father, were you able even in adulthood to have any type of conversations with him? Yeah. So uh, when I was right around when my son was born and I had transferred to Long Beach State, I found an, his address or someone found it for me, actually. And so we had a letter correspondence for a few years um, going back and forth. Um, and so we kind of we both kept it secret. Um, on his end, he had a wife that didn't know that I existed. And then on my end, I just didn't want my mom to know about it at that time. She knows about it now. Um, but yeah, we kept a, a letter correspondence for about a year and a half. And I started getting the courage to go, hey, maybe we could meet. And I swear he must have felt that kind of vibe coming soon. And he just completely um, stopped writing the letters to, to me. And so I wrote him about three more and it just kind of gave up on it. And so it was, you know, kind of like a, a second rejection in life uh, from my biological father. Um, but on the flip side, I my mom married my dad when I was two. And so I always had a father figure in the house. So it wasn't like that was uh, missing from my life. But um, yeah, that was uh, a, re a big reason why, again, the writing has a lot to do with uh, fatherhood. And you mentioned uh, 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 you, your dad. Uh, I like how you say your dad. You don't say your stepdad. You say your dad because that person pretty much raised you. And uh, what 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 a great person he is. Because there's a lot of people, 
you know, dating single moms. That happens all the time. But don't embrace the child as they should. And it sounds like your dad did that for you. Oh, yeah, for sure. He just jumped in since I was like two years old. And I have so many memories of us. Um, even like at four years old, you know, him taking me to the beach and, you know, going out and having some fun, just me and him, um, you know, uh, my mom like refused to like have my haircut. And so he took me to go get my first haircut. Um, so a lot of, yeah, he, from day one, he was, he was there and, um, um, definitely was a good model for me to follow, uh, later on as a father. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, um, a good guy, definitely. So let's go back to that that book you read. You, it was uh, "Where's Pops?" Is that the, the first book the the book you're talking about? "Where's Pops?" Yeah. Uh -huh. Where did you find these people to interview these these fathers? Well, okay. So actually, it was um it was a short story collection, so it was all fiction. Oh, okay. So I basically you know made them up, but I based it on you know people that I knew. Um, and you know we're talking about my my dad. I based the first and the last uh, story upon him. Um, and so it's interesting when people who know him <laughs> read the book, they're like that, you got him just right, you know? Um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's interesting that, that other people said you got him just right when you really didn't have much of a relationship with him at all. Oh, I meant with my, with my, with my dad, not my biological. Oh, oh got it. Okay. Yeah, got gotcha. Okay. Got him right. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay. <laughs> oh, right on, right on. So I would imagine with, you know, you having a young child, I I would imagine you're, you as a father had, had, had to evolve, you know, going through the struggles of being 21 to now you are today. Uh, can you go over some of the things that you had to overcome as a young father that's made you a better father today? Yeah, I think uh, a big part was just, um, you know, I was, a big struggle was trying to balance between being the young dad and, you know, not going out all the time and, and partying and all that good stuff. Um, and so I think it influenced me, I guess, that, well, one part as a writer, it just forced me to, you know, write whenever I could. And so there were times when I would be, um, you know, in my apartment or whatever, and all the rooms were filled with other people sleeping like roommates or, you know, like in the front room, somebody sleeping there too. And so I would go into the bathroom at 1130 at night and write till one o'clock. And when people needed to use the restroom, I would come out of the bathroom just, you know, for that moment. Um, so it taught me a lot about dedication um, and not only to my craft, but also to my son um, and really, you know, thinking ahead of how I'm going to be there for him for his different events, um, how to get him, you know, um, um, you know, like when I was studying, like who, who could I leave him with for, for the hour or two? Um, and so that dedication, not only to him, I think has really influenced him now as an adult. Um, he has an incredible work ethic um, and he is now living in Miami. Um, he's doing the whole new generation thing of being um, uh, a business owner. And so like, um, he's now, what do you call it? Uh, he just, he flies a lot to like different, uh, 
countries like Colombia, but at the same time, he's working there. So he's kind of having fun. So it's a completely different life. But I think a lot of it is based upon, you know, the grind and the hustle that he, he witnessed me go through. And he's now replicating that in his own realm. That, that's so important that you talk about that, that drive to move forward, because in your situation, it would be really easy to, quote unquote, settle, settle for a job just so that you can make the money and support your, your son. But it sounds to me that writing was always a passion in you and you were doing whatever it takes, not only to provide for your son, but to fulfill your dreams. Um, so if you could go into a little bit further about that, because I know that you probably had, a, you mentioned being a longshoreman, but I'm sure there was other things, other jobs that you had to do to get you to the point where you, you're at today. And even though that you have a master's in writing, that doesn't mean that you have a past where, oh, I have a master's in writing. Well, just let the doors open. You, you know, there's a lot of work after that, probably more so after that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So basically, like, yes, I had jobs that, you know, um, didn't fulfill me. Um, and so the prime example was I uh, had previously been a full time instructor in English at a community college. And I did it for four years and it was like a goal. Um, once I get, you know, graduated, I was like, all right, I was a part-time instructor for about seven years. And then I got a, a full-time and it was by far the worst, like four years of working I've ever had um, because of the fact it required so much mental energy day in, day out. Um, and it led me to a place where I just had to change tracks. Um, and it could be true that the, the college itself was not helping out, you know, the situation as well. Um, but it really taught me that, you know, to go for what I want to do. So in my last year of my contract, that's when I started writing um, my current novel. Um, uh, there was something else I wanted to add to that. Oh, uh, shoot. But just basically, yeah, um, it just wasn't fulfilling who I was. And so I had I had to turn, you know, turn tracks because of the fact I felt like I was becoming someone who I didn't even like to be around. Um, and so, oh, that's what I was going to say. Um, I remember a long time ago, I was at Long Beach State for a reading event. And there was an author whose name I don't remember at this point. And they had said, um, you know, if you want to be a writer, you have to find a job that doesn't take a lot of your mental energy and so definitely like right now I've switched tracks and you know I do the longshoring um, and I also work as a, a, a college tutor and it doesn't it's not very taxing um, and so when I heard that bit of information the first time uh, from that writer at Long Beach State years ago honestly thought oh that that person's just weak thank you <laughs> They can't, you know, they don't have it in them to, to have the drive to to work, uh, you know, uh, you know, be a lawyer or whatever, you know, something hard and then come home and write. I really thought they're just weak. And then I learned the hard way that they were absolutely 100 percent correct. So what was your turn at that point after your fourth year at that community college? You made that turn of, of employment. Is that when you got into the longshoreman or? Um, the longshoring is, it's been there for a while, but I went to, I actually returned to tutoring at colleges. Oh. And so I tutor at, um, two different colleges. Um, and, uh, at one college, I, 
um, tutor exclusively to veteran students. Um, and then the other colleges just for the general population there. Um, and so that's what I changed to. And then um, I did a bunch of like little side jobs here and there, nothing major, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I, I turned to. Um, and for now it's working out pretty well. You know, and there's a pride thing there, right? I mean, you were talking about, you know, when you saw that, that, that author talk at Long Beach State when you were a young man, you were like, eh, you know what, he's weak, he's soft. And now you're in a situation where you look at things differently, right? You're looking at, you know, maybe when you were 19 or 20, you thought to yourself, tutoring, at, you know, in my 40s, give me a break, right? But yeah. now you see the value in it. You see the value in why you're doing what you're doing. And you're not worried about what other people think about what you're doing because inside of you, you're happy because it gives you the time for you to write. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing that was really beneficial too was after that, that, that pivot um, was when the pandemic occurred, I actually had more time than ever. Um, so that helped out with the writing too. Um, so yeah, definitely, you know, uh, that, that assisted with the uh, being able to write a book because I, I admit I'm a very slow writer. And so uh, the idea of writing a novel was just so outside my realm of possibility. Um, I always have figured myself as a short story writer. Um, I actually enjoy the short story form more, um, but the sad thing is short story collections don't sell at all. So it, you know, had to make that change. And luckily, again, I had the time to, um, to, uh, to write the novel. Let's talk about your writing style. I, you mentioned uh, a couple authors here, and I don't know who they are, so I'd like you to, to talk about them, and I might be butchering the name, so okay. you'll have to correct me on that. So you, uh, uh, Juana Diaz and Raymond Carver, you said that your style is similar to them. Uh, go over who they are first and, and why your styles are similar to them. Okay, so um, Raymond Carver was from basically the early 80s, and he's from this school of writers called the Dirty Realists. And so they, um, again, are, they're, they're minimalist writers and they focused on what everyday Americans would go through, struggles um, with work especially. And so I really liked that approach because it was so straightforward. Um, and the interesting thing, it looks so easy to do and it's, it's not easy to do. Um, it's, it's such a stripped down kind of a approach. Um, then the other writer that mentioned, uh, Junet Diaz, um, he's a Dominican American writer and he, um, again, he's more of a, man, I'd say more like an urban realist type writer. And so he talks a lot about the experience of, uh, people coming to the U S for the first time, um, and living in not the greatest neighborhoods as well, which was, you know, uh, in the past, in the past, that wasn't really talked about. And so um, he really opened up this door. Um, and I'm going to blend like another element to this whole thing about these, these authors. Um, so yes, I, I graduated St. Anthony's 1995. And during that era, that's when to me, hip hop was at its absolute tip top. Um, and then, so I was deep in, you know, to hip hop, helping my friends carry crates into record club, you know, into clubs and all that stuff. And then around the late nineties, it seemed to slip. And this whole idea of keeping it real really went by the wayside. And so 
I found myself really being hungry for something different um, than what I was getting through, you know, through hip hop. And that's when I discovered Raymond Carver um, in my first few years at, at college. And I thought, wow, like this is this is really cool. Like someone's just talking about um, like there's an opening scene where he's like smoking a spliff and he's looking out his screen door, watching somebody change the oil in their car. And I was like, wow, that's a really like that seems realistic to me rather than some kind of fantasy type writing or anything of that sort. Um, so I, that's when I really got into him. And then later on, when I discovered uh, Jenna Diaz, um, it was someone who kind of had the same kind of bend, but it was more urban. And I was like, wow, like this is what definitely what I would love to do. So, yeah, those two writers are definitely uh, the, the main influences in regards to literature. And let's talk about the uh, is it Escape to Butterfly Avenue, correct? Yeah, Escape to Butterfly Avenue, yep. So, yeah, uh, yeah uh, I, I read a little bit of the, the thesis of it, and it has to do with fatherhood again. And it sounds like it's a young father, skateboarder. So please give us a little bit of a, a synopsis. Yeah, so Escape to Butterfly Ave, it's about a young skateboarder turned father, and he's facing a lot of adversity during the pandemic to be around for his infant daughter. And so um, I was just looking at my shelf. I have a book of uh, shelf of books in Long Beach, and I was like, you know what? This is probably the most Long Beach novel I've ever witnessed myself. Uh, I started thinking about all the locations and all the uh, locales that are mentioned and, you know, the people that are included as well. Um, you know, this is definitely if you're a Long Beach, if you like Long Beach and you love writing, this is the perfect book for, for that type of writer or reader, I should say. Um, um, one thing that's unique about the approach is that each chapter is based on different hip hop songs. So all these different hip hop songs are blended together into the narrative structure of a novel. Um, it's something that I've never witnessed. Um, and because it was so challenging, it seemed like it was uh, something worthy to go for um, you know, with, with that approach. And so um, people are, even if people have never heard of these songs, it doesn't matter because of the story itself. Um, it's its own story altogether. Um, and so um, it's nice right now, I'm getting a lot of feedback that even from people who've never heard those songs, they're like, this is, a, you know, they're really enjoying the text itself. And so it took me about three years to complete. Um, and I had thought about it six years or three years before that. So six years ago, I, I thought about it. It was in July of six years ago. Um, and so now it's just nice to finally share it and you know get, get the feedback from people. Can you give us an example of a chapter of maybe a more, more popular hip hop song so that we can kind of get the, the gist of that? Yeah. So um, there's uh, probably the most popular one is um, Miss Jackson by Outkast. And that song that goes, I'm sorry, Miss Jackson, that one. Um, Miss Jackson is actually the nemesis of the main character. Um, she is the baby's mama's mama of uh, his daughter. And so she is really more of a bougie type character. And so when she sees this skateboarder who like is dirty at times, she just wants him completely out of, uh, you know, out of her granddaughter's life. And so she does everything she can to um, push him out, including when there's a scene where or there's a moment where he had COVID. And so in the moment and during that time, 
Um, she says, you know, why don't you just uh, let, our, let, let, let our granddaughter stay with me a little bit longer? And then she does, she keeps doing that over and over till like a month pass way beyond the period when he, you know, um, he could return to everybody. So um, yeah, she's definitely like a straight up biatch. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, it's fun to uh, hear people hate, say how much they, they despise her. Yeah. And then you talked about Long Beach. So uh, are, are, is there landmarks in, the, in this book that, that, that uh, we should be looking out for? Yeah, so the primary locations are uh, the 4th Street Corridor, which is a little bit further down than the uh, Retro Row area of 4th Street, going towards um, Long Beach, I mean, towards downtown. So that's one of the primary locations. Um, and then the other primary location is West Side Long Beach. And so he's, there's a scene where he's, um, his car breaks down at a drive-through. And so he's got to get his daughter to the mother's house. And so he ends up pulling a skateboard out of his old car. And he has one of those, uh, I don't know how to say it, Bajorns. You know, know, those, little, those little things, like the little backpacks where you put the baby in kind of thing. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he ends up skating through uh, West Side Long Beach on Willow going over the bridge. Um, and so, yeah, definitely West Side, you know. Towards Wilmington, huh? Yeah, going that way. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, like I said, like it's it's very, uh, very much a Long Beach novel. Um, and so, like you know, in comparison to some other books, I've seen write-ups where, like, you know, the paper will say, "Oh, we have a new writer from Long Beach," and they, you know, it's based in Long Beach. And then I, you know, I'll buy the text, and they'll like mention a coffee shop or something on page forty in Long Beach, mm. and then they might mention something else on page eighty. And to me, that's just like, it's not really a Long Beach type of novel. Um, it's more like a, I don't know, what do you call that thing? Map quest or something like they're doing. Just kind of, you know, mentioning a few places, but really the story is not Long Beach based. Um, and so, um, uh, what I was gonna say was that, you know, it just feels that, you know, it's more like a Band-Aid, like, oh, we wanna use, utilize this big city as a marketing tool, but really when it comes down to it, um, they, they really don't catch the flavor of the city and the flavor is within the, 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 the people of the city too. Um, and so, you know, that's why I'm, I'm glad to give Long Beach something that really does reflect who we are. You mentioned uh, Four Street, and I think you said past kind of the arts arts district. Mm -hmm. uh, Four Street is near to, near and dear to my heart because the fact that when I was a freshman and sophomore at St. Anthony's, now they have a bus that takes you there. But when you and I were going there, uh, if your parents couldn't take you, you were taking the city buses. So I had to take Four Street uh, to school, uh, to and from school all the time. So Four Street to me just stands out in, in my head. So are you talking about the area um, by Alamitos there? Is that the yep. area you're talking about? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have a, a big vision of that there. When I started going to school at St. Anthony's, there's a McDonald's there on fourth and Benito that I, I think about. And there's a, I think that the B room, all that stuff is right there. So yeah, I have a picture in my head of, of the area. Is that where, is that where the father was living? Yeah, that's exactly where it was. And even that McDonald's you mentioned is mentioned in, in the novel itself. So yeah, that's where he lives in this um, tiny little studio apartment. 
and um, he he likens it to a van shoebox. It's kind of like the the walls are kind of like that color, um, and it's just super small and super warm and super uh, mucky in there. So, and yeah. I believe there's a uh, a skate park right next to St. Anthony's uh, now. Was that mentioned in the book as well? No, it, oh. no, it wasn't. Yeah, I, I I remember. Yeah, that wasn't anything before. Yeah. Um, but the park that is mentioned, the skate park that's mentioned a lot is, um, um, they call it Cherry Park, but it's actually, well, Cherry Park slash Bixby Park, right off Ocean Boulevard. That's like where he basically went to escape when he was younger and he skateboarded there all the time. Um, I think the skate park uh, at Silverado Park in Westside Long Beach is mentioned as well. And so, um, yeah, he definitely has that skater type five. He's, you know, kind of rough around the edges, but has this huge, massive heart um, for his daughter and also for his family. I know you, you've lived all your life in Long Beach, so I can understand the appeal of Long Beach, but can you go deeper and why Long Beach means so much to you? Um, it's all I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all I know, but, you know, I think about people who who leave the city and how often they're just like, oh, I wish I could go back and live there. Because um, one, we have the great, greatest weather. Um, I don't know if you saw, there was a, a survey years ago and it said Long Beach had the best weather ever in our best weather in the United States. So not too hot, not too cold, just right. Um, and I think that right there alone is one of the driving forces um, for our city and, and why I love our city. Um, and it's because of the weather, I think truly that we get more blended families because of the weather. Um, speaking of Fourth Street in the summertime, you can walk down the street and maybe you're at a party and then you might get invited to another party and you're, just, you're meeting all types of people. And so when people bump into new people, sometimes they bump in a night and suddenly a new baby's created. And so we get a lot of, you know, uh, like we're so mix as a as a culture here in Long Beach and we're we're remixes of remixes and I think that's why we're ahead of the curve when it comes to so many um societal issues as well um so that's the the biggest thing I, I think when I think of Long Beach is the weather and just people having fun together and you know um getting to really know each other because we can have all these classes of uh what do you call it um racial sensitivity and all this which you know whatever it's just like an hour or two but you really have to become family with 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 each other to really develop strong uh ties and to work with one another um because beyond that it's just, a lot of it's just talk so yeah and i'm definitely a product of that my um uh my mom is um half salvadoran she speaks uh fluent spanish and she was an interpreter at Memorial Hospital, and then she married my dad, um, who's black. And so, um, you know, I didn't even think when I was growing up that it was considered a, a multicultural family. It was just family, you know. And then on top of that, growing up uh, West Side Long Beach with uh, you know a lot of Filipino friends that are that I met at St. Anthony and are still family till you know basically family till this day. Um, so that's what I love about our city is that we are just ahead of the curve when it comes to you know. Um, uh, so many societal issues and that's why we all yeah and that, and real quick and that's why we also lead so many different uh 
you know, styles, et cetera, and music. And even with uh, Billie Jean King, she's just like, all right, I'm gonna take over, you know, the men's game and um, uh, just so many things that we, we, we do set trends. And it's because of that blending. Yeah, Billie Jean King, the, the thought of that, I remember just recently, you know, at, at Wil, uh, uh, what is the, the tournament in England, Wil, Wilmington, Wilmington? Wimbledon, yeah. Wimbledon, yeah. And she's there with, with, the, with the Queen of England. And I'm thinking to myself, she started her career in Polly, Polly High, you know, and now look at her, look where she's at right now. I just think that's, that's amazing. But going back to what you're talking about with the culture of Long Beach, I 100% agree with you on that from my own experiences and, and my friendships with different people throughout the city. And I read an article, and I think it's still true today because this article, I think it's 10 or 15 years old now, but it was the most equally diverse city in the nation. I think it still holds, holds true uh, to, the, to this day just because of it's just being a melting pot. And I think about people who are not from Long Beach or maybe from other parts of Southern California. They're, they're still, I think if we're breaking the stigma a little bit, but especially when I was a kid, and I'm sure you were too, when you talk to other people from other cities and you say you're from Long Beach, they're like, whoa, 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 that's, that's, that's a rough go. That's a rough area. And they really don't understand the city. And I think, again, no, with, with different things happening. I think that Long Beach is getting a, a, a better reputation, especially if you look at the values of, of, of the city. I mean, the value of, of, of Long Beach, as far as property values has gone up, I know across the board it has, but Long Beach has gone up quite a bit because I think for a long time, and I don't think it is that today, it used to be one of the best kept secrets in Southern California that you're living in this beach city, but it, it was still pretty much affordable. So um, and I think that, unfortunately, because I don't think it's a secret anymore, and I think that a lot of people understand what Long Beach is about, I, more and more people have got, come to the city. So I, I 100% agree with you on, on, those, on those facts about Long Beach. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's it, like you said, it, it, it was such a, a great kept secret, and now it's out the bag. And, you know, Long Beach, we're kind of facing this situation of, do we hold on to these kind of like, uh, you know, being an old school kind of town or do we fast forward and, you know, develop, you know, I think about Ocean Boulevard and all that stuff. Do we develop into um, uh, like a more major city? Um, we have a half a million, which is a good number. Um, but now with, you know, all these high rise, et cetera, like it's definitely going to change the, the, the flavor of our city. Yeah. And there's a lot of sensitivity to, towards that. You know, there's, there's areas of the city where maybe other people from the city say, Oh, we need to clean that up. And other people who may live in that part of the town go, no, that's my home. What, what it needs to be cleaned up. It's, it's fine the way it is. And they make a valid point because when you, when people start cleaning things up, unfortunately that increases rent and, and how prices and sometimes that that it gets to the point where some of the people that are living in that community can't afford that community anymore and they have to move. So there's some sensitivity there when you when you when you talk about those things. And I think that uh, um, what I've seen of Long Beach is, you know, there's a lot of things of, of politics of Long Beach I don't like. But the, some of the things I do like about the politics of Long Beach is that I think that they're that they've done a good job of of 
you know, keeping that, that, that culture in the city and they know the sensitivity of if they really start to really change that, that could really affect the people that are actually living in those communities. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, where can, uh, where can we, where can we get these books? Uh, where's pops and escape to uh, Buff, uh, butterfly Avenue? Where can we, where can we buy these, these books from you? Okay. So, uh, the books can be purchased, uh, anywhere like Amazon or at, uh, Barnes and Noble, anywhere online. Um, readers could also visit, uh, my website called www.longbeachwriter.com. Um, and also I'm on Instagram, um, during the pandemic, I started an Instagram page and it's called again, Long Beach Writer. Um, and it's there not only like right now it's promoting more of my work, but it's designed to promote anything to do with writing in the city of Long Beach. So if another author publishes a novel, uh, I'm there to help promote their work, or even if they got like a poem published, um, that is also something that goes in there. So uh, readers could also find a link to the purchase of the book there as well. All right, well, I wanna leave you with a fun question. Okay. Where are the best places to eat in Long Beach? <laughs> oh God, we have, that's, you know, I was mentioning that earlier about the people who leave, how sad they are about their, you know, their food options in other cities. Um, and let me let me give me a quick moment to think about that one. Um, you can spit out a few. You don't have to go to one. Yeah, whatever comes to your mind. Yeah, I you know I like uh, the happy hour at George's Greek George's Greek Deli or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what it's called. I like that one a lot. In downtown and uh, downtown Long Beach, right? Yeah, and also on uh, on Second Street as well. Yeah. I really like that. Um, for pizza, my favorite is Bono's Pizza on willow and also um, ocean boulevard that's like hometown you know pizza to me for sure um i don't know um when it comes to food i just like if it tastes good i'm good with it (laughs) so yeah i don't i don't have the best answer for that one because it's just there's just too much good stuff around us those are two great places uh, two great places to get bonos i forgot about bonos it's been years since i've been to bonos but yeah you're right they do have excellent pizza yeah. Awesome stuff. Well, Max, it's been a pleasure talking to you, talking to you about Long Beach and, and your writing. I can see the passion that you have for the city of Long Beach, the passion you have for being a father and the passion you have of, of moving society forward. So I appreciate our conversation today. Oh, man. Thank you so much for having me today. Problem. Till next time, it's a Long Beach thing. Thank you for tuning into It's a Long Beach Thing. Please tune in next time for another great episode. Thank you and have a good rest of your day.